I'm not the kind of person that can really fake it. I'm not good at that. I'm really good at being myself. And I'm comfortable with myself. And I actually tried to be, you know, someone I wasn't for a short period of time, and it liked to kill me. Welcome to the Peach Jam Podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting, where we'll introduce you to a sampling of the truly diverse and incredibly talented musicians who call the Peach Day home. Each episode will profile a different artist and share songs and stories recorded live in our GPB studios in Midtown Atlanta. I'm your host, Jeremy Powell. And on this episode, you'll meet a musician from Atlanta who gave up a record deal to stay true to herself. Hi, I'm Michelle Malone. I'm an Atlanta native and I play Americana music. But you kind of have a rock and roll soul, it seems. You like things loud. And? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. You know, uh, I've always played both acoustic and electric. I still play solo or duo and with a band. And I love it all. I don't feel like I should ever have to choose. Life is a buffet. And I want to try it all. I have a Christmas band, I have a 70s cover band. Uh, My records span from, I think, acoustic folk rock to rock and roll to blues to, I don't know, some kind of neo-folk stuff. I don't even like to categorize things. To me, it's just music, you know? So that's what I think. See, I like that because I I feel the same way. I don't want to just listen to one thing or say I only like one thing or it lives in this box or whatever. Good music is good music and that seems to be kind of at your core. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) We drift on the sea No rhyme or reason This is the season just to be I don't know the plan Whatever will be, will be Time and time again I have crashed down Only to blast back up Through the atmosphere with the sunshine leading me back again
throughout your career, you've worked with a lot of people who came through Atlanta at a certain time. Um, tell me about some of the people you've worked with, whether writing with them or playing with them or touring with them. Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, I came up with the Indigo Girls and, and we met in the 80s before either of us had record deals, you know, and they were already playing out and they found out I played music and wrote songs, but I hadn't been playing out. So they kind of gave me a, I don't know, they gave me a hard time about that and said I had to get out and play my songs. Mm -hmm. So they inspired me to do that and invited me to come to this little place in Emory Village. It was called The Dugout. It's not there anymore, but it, it was a little college haunt, you know. And uh, I remember between their sets, they let me get up and sing three or four songs. Mm -hmm. And I was scared to death. My knees were knocking, literally, physically knocking together. And, uh, you know, and after that, you know, you break the seal and then you move on. So uh, I just started playing around town. That was, um, I guess, 87. And, um, you know, a lot of wonderful folks in Atlanta helped me out, showed me, I guess I followed them by example, you know. They didn't necessarily show me what to do, but I just watched and and uh, it was the Indigo Girls and Caroline Aiken and Dee Dee Vogt and folks like that. And then on the other side of, of my world, uh, I used to sneak in to see the Georgia satellites mm -hmm. at Hedgens in Buckhead when I was a kid. I wasn't even old enough to be in there. And they made a huge impression on me because although my mother is a singer and I grew up watching her and her band, it was a lot more reserved. And so, uh, you know, Caroline and Dee Dee and Amy and Emily, and then I got to play music and got a record deal early on before I really even knew what I was doing or I was even good at it, I think. I guess they thought otherwise. And so you feel the drift lost in the crowd simply forward you know I toured with ZZ Top and Skinner and a bunch of southern rock bands because the record that I made for Arista was more of a rock record mm -hmm. however my first record was very much a folk record that had well John Keane produced it 
I made it in Athens with him, and uh, Bill Berry from R.E.M. played drums on a couple tracks, and Gerard McHugh played on a couple tracks, you know, so it was always very much a Georgia effort. Um, Dan Baird from the Georgia Satellites played on my Relentless record with Arista, and I just love keeping it very Georgia-oriented because I think what we have here is just so different from anywhere else. It's such a crossroads of music between blues and rock and folk and soul. I love the music here. It's got an edge to it, right? And a little backbeat, which I love. Uh, whether it's acoustic or electric, you know, with a band. But anyway, then, uh, you know, I've worked a lot with Sean Mullins. He produced one of my records, and then I had him come sing on one of my records. And just a wonderful community of musicians here. Christian you're, Bush. You're not the first person to bring that up about the, the tight-knit community that's here in Georgia of musicians. I've had somebody tell me that they like to be here because it's where the best musicians are. And every single day they can call somebody and they can go record immediately. What causes it to be different here versus other cities? The million dollar question. I mean, like I said, I think it's because we've always been at crossroads, uh, even from early 1900s, probably before that. Uh, you know, a lot of the blues musicians were around way back when. We had Blind Willie McTell and just a, a lot of wonderful uh, uh, players, and we have such a rich history. Um, so I think it just, I don't know if it's the water, I don't know if it's in the water or the red dirt or what, but I, I love what happens here. You know, I, we have somewhere between Memphis soul and Nashville country and New Orleans and whatever happens south of us. It all seems to have converged here at some point or another. to record here. I like to work with Georgia musicians and Georgia studios and I think we just have a sound and a way of doing things um, and I can really relate to people who have either from here or have been here a long time because they get it right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay good. Yeah, yeah that makes total sense and, and you alluded to it you signed a, a big deal how old were you when you signed? It was was it Clive Davis that, yeah. that talked to you? I'm um, sorry, we just throw out Clive Davis like it's a no name or something like the Clive Davis signed you. Yeah, um, that was in the late '80s, and he uh, you know was made aware of me from 
Tony Paris, who was managing me at the time, and he was working hard at trying to get me signed. And, and Clive, I guess, took the bait, came to Atlanta to see us play. I remember he pulled his limo, his stretch limo, up on the triangle at, in Little Five Points, <laughs> stood in the doorway for two songs, and then went back to his limo. And I'm like, what's that about? And then I was invited to go to the limo, and I sat in there for about two minutes and chit-chatted and shook his hand. It was the softest hand I'd ever felt. He's never worked uh, a day in his life, you know, at a uh, physical labor, I can tell you that. So uh, it was all very, you know, heady. Mm -hmm. There were heady times. And then uh, it took a, a year or two to find a producer and get the record recorded, and then it comes out, and, and you have all your hopes and dreams invested in that little project, and you hit the road, and you have all the trappings of a rock star with the bus and the band and the managers and agents and attorneys and labels and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, it either hits or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of artist development anymore, so uh, it didn't really fly. Mm -hmm. And then my brother got sick, and the whole tour had been, I don't know, we kept turning demos and they kept telling me they didn't like them. And then eventually they come back to me and they said, they want me to be more like Joan Jett. Mm -hmm. And that's just great. I love Joan Jett, but it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not the kind of person that can really fake it. I'm not good at that. I'm really good at being myself. And I'm comfortable with myself. And I actually tried to be, you know, someone I wasn't for a short period of time and it liked to kill me. And so I actually called them up one day and I said, you know, this, this isn't working for me. I got a lot going on in my personal life and I am never going to be Joan Jett, so I'd like to leave. And they were kind enough to say, well, the door is always open. That's fine. I don't think they knew what to do with me anyway, because they didn't even have a rock department at the time. So it was all kind of confusing. And I guess I was about 23 by this time and a young 23. So I went independent at that point. Again, my very first record was independent. The second one was with Arista. And then uh, I guess I just started putting out my records until I signed another deal with Walter Yetnikoff, who was probably the arch nemesis of Clive, you know, or, or the same guy, different name. I, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But he was great and, you know, between the two of them, they've signed all the greatest rock acts you can think of, but <clears throat> that didn't fly for me either. I think I'm just very uh, independent and especially strong-willed back then. So I'm, I'm still putting out my own records, but I, I have a team that helps me with publicity and radio and distribution and all stuff. So I think what I've been doing for a while is really working for me and I'm happy. Do you like tattoos? Do you like pink hair? Do you like football and new cheerleader? I go to dinner sometimes people stop and stare my 
remarkable to be able to know yourself enough at 23 even though you call yourself a young 23 you knew yourself well enough to say hey this isn't working when there are so many people who want that so bad they're willing to sell their soul they're willing to do something completely different they're willing to change everything and you said no thanks and walked away from a record deal I like who I am and you can change yourself all you want, but you're still always going to be yourself. You can change your clothes and your hair and your songs and get things done to your body or whatever, but you're still always going to be you, your essence. And, and I guess I just knew that. There's something welled up in me. And like I said, trying to be someone I'm not like to kill me. It's just not in me. Yes, it bothers me. You think that I'm a cartoon. You're so special. Wish I was special too. that you started in the 80s and there's been a lot of evolution in the sound but there's also been a lot of evolution here in in Atlanta where we're filming this and recording this or also in Georgia like Atlanta was a small town in 1987 you know I don't think Atlanta was built to be the mecca that it is now we keep trying to expand the highways and I don't know how many more lanes we can have me personally, I left Atlanta two years ago and went south about an hour just so that I could pretend I'm in old Atlanta, I guess, with more <laughs> trees and less traffic. It's a little more doable, a little more comfortable, quieter and all that. Where did you go specifically? I'm down in Fayetteville. 
It's so, precious. I love it. Is it? It is. It's quiet and kind and, you know, people ma'am me and <laughs> I love that. I love it. How long does it take you to get from Fayetteville back up into the city to play a gig? Depends on the time. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it takes an hour, sometimes it takes two hours if I'm going up to North Atlanta. Um, where was I over the weekend? Matilda's and Milton took me two hours to get there, but it only took me 50 minutes to get home. So traffic, no traffic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's okay. I, I don't mind it. I, I like listening to music and things in the car. So it's relaxing if you're not running late. <laughs> Sun is sinking low, I'm strumming my guitar. Look me in the Tell me you don't care Do you like tattoos? Do you like pink I'm embarrassed to say I listen to a whole lot of Steely Dan. I don't know what that is. It's very comforting and I love singing to it. I think I listen to music that I can sing to, so it has to be in my key. <laughs> <laughs> and some people don't sing in my key and it's hard for me to sing to it, so I don't listen to it as much. Um, I love the Stones. I love old rock and roll. Anything from the 70s or earlier. Um, gosh. I love the Staples singers and Mavis Staples. Some of my favorite singers uh, are Gladys Knight and Aretha Franklin and Whitney Houston. And just, I love good singing. I love some backbeat and some soul with a little growl in it, you know. And having said that, I love beautiful music too. I, I grew up in the church singing in the choir. My mother sang pop music and also classical music. So I used to hear her sing Mozart and Puccini. My grandmother was a music theater. So I got all that. I mean, I love everything. What was the church that you grew up singing in? Oh, well, I went to Grace United Methodist on Ponce, and then I went to Peachtree Road United Methodist on Peachtree. So I still run into some of those folks too. It's a trip. Those buildings are so much smaller than they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I went back there and uh, I saw Sue Goddard, who was the organist at Grace for 
ever. I mean, before I was born, and then I, I saw her there about 15 years ago, and she actually remembered me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember driving in the car with her and her son to summer camp when I was like 10. You know, these are the things I love about being in Atlanta. You have family everywhere that you're not necessarily related to. They're just your people. Well, I feel like a feather blowing in a hurricane. I'm outside the port right now, feel like charade. Well, I'm running a race like a horse whose leg is lame. Woman who was dragging and making a phone call. She was loud and talking on the mouth, and I went like she was on the cocaine. And I feel like a feather blowing in a hurricane. Well, a man. from the TV He was smoking a Cuban cigar and eating shepherd's pie There was a sticker on the bumper red, what would Jesus drive? So I went to the gas station, put a hundred in my tank And I stood there crying as I'm gonna flip out my bank Does anybody else feel the need for some jacket restraint? Do you feel like a feather? Tell them, please, I feel like I'm about to explode. 
Come on, light the fire, crack it, the place is just about to blow. Everybody in the space shuttle, cause we ain't got nowhere to go. Cows is barely February and it's in the grease in the shade. All the politicians wanna do a talking, talking debate. It doesn't matter who wins the election, their hands are tied and blood stained. Don't you feel like a feather? Is it true that you dropped out of high school? Yeah. And then you went back? Yeah. How did that happen? How did it happen? Well, hmm. I left home about two weeks after I turned 16, ran around town for a while, went back to school about a year and a half later, and ended up graduating from open campus which sort of, um, it was a school for both derelicts and for people who wanted to graduate early, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's an alternative high school. And I had so much time to make up that I ended up there. And uh, I think um, it was really good for me. The classes were smaller and I could be more attentive there. There wasn't a lot of BS, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and then they, you know, helped me get into college, and it, it was a wonderful thing. I, I was just happy to graduate because <laughs> I didn't know that I would ever do that. And then I, it wasn't a, an adult high school, but I, I did well, and you know. It sounds gave like the graduation speech and all that stuff and ended up at Agnes Scott. I, you know, I kind of turned the ship around, if you will. It sounds like you've known yourself for a long time, that maybe regular quote unquote school wasn't quite what you needed. And, and you understood yourself and you went, had to go off. It's the same thing with you leaving the record deal, that you knew what you wanted and needed occasionally <laughs> i think uh you know to be fair i wasn't getting along with my parents very well uh, we had we had just knock down drag out arguments and fights and uh that's really why i left now i could have had some higher being or my higher self tell me otherwise but I just remember getting that idea in my head okay well this isn't working click time to go and uh, you know the ensuing 
year and a half after that, it's not like I was doing well. <laughs> I was a I was a whirling dervish out on the streets and having fun and way too much of it. <laughs> I'm surprised that I lived through it, frankly. But I had a lot of angels watching over me, I'm quite sure. Uh, so it, it's not that I used my time wisely and, and I left there because I knew what I had to do. It was more just trying to find my way as I went mm -hmm. and being very confused and unhappy. and. I think maybe that helped me find out who I am. But but then, you know, that takes a lifetime because we keep changing. So, you know, get, don't give me too much credit. <laughs> well, if you could take these lessons that you've learned now over the years and go back and talk to that 16-year-old Michelle, what is it you tell her? I've thought about that a lot. I really don't know because I don't know if I could have stayed and made it work. I think I may have had to have, you know, taken a similar path, maybe not done uh, as many drugs, maybe not drank so much, maybe not tried to escape uh, all the things that were going on in my life and, and all the feelings I had. Uh, maybe I would tell myself that. And, and tell myself that it would be okay, that I don't have to do all that, and eventually things will settle down and you'll be all right. It was a, it was a tough road to hoe back then. And probably for a good 20 years, you know, 16 to, I would say 36, I was still trying to figure it all out. Even though I had stopped all the shenanigans, I still wasn't really quite settled in me yet. That takes a long time, I think, for most people. Now, <laughs> I've met some people who were just, they come out, they come out just complete, it seems like. John Mayer was that way. He used to open for me at my shows, or he would show up with his little guitar, his mm. amp. Just, he was such a goober when he was young, you know, this 19-year-old kid. But he was so talented and had, he was so self-assured. And he just always seemed like he was fully baked when he showed up. Like, here I am, here's my sound, here's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. So I wasn't that. It's taken me a long time to get here. So good for him and good for me too. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Peach Jam Podcast. Find Michelle Malone's complete musical performances on the GPB YouTube page. On the next episode, you'll meet a party band from Savannah who can provide some insight on the robust music scene there. I mean, every corner you go around, there's there's music yeah. everywhere. It's, mean, yeah. You'd never think of this. It's, you know, party you know. town, you know. Yeah. People, uh, people that just have pop-up parades. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really... People always busking yeah. down on River Street, yes. mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. You go to the bank, there's a guy playing the saxophone, you know, and it's it's like the worst sax you've ever heard. <laughs> but he's there all the time, and, like, and, and you watched him get better and better through the years. Soap is on the next episode of the Peach Jam Podcast. The Peach Jam Podcast is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Jeremy Powell. Sandy Malcolm is our executive producer. Sound engineering and recording was provided by Sounds Good. Follow us on Instagram at Peach Jam Podcast and look for Peach Jam on TV wherever you watch Georgia Public Broadcasting. 
In the meantime, please find and support live local music and independent record stores in your area. 